I'll tell you what, I'm fired up to preach today. So, uh, you know, Robin always gets nervous about that because when I get fired up because um, I revert back to my tennis history. Uh, I was a tennis player, and I go back and forth real fast. And uh, she thought I was going to fall off the stage the other day because I was, I was fired up one day, and she's like, honey, you need to slow down. Stop going back and forth. So I'm working on that. Uh, but I told her, don't worry, honey, tennis players were the best athletes ever, so I wouldn't have, I would have fallen well if I would have fallen off the stage. But, uh, but I am excited today, and, and there's several reasons why I'm excited um, um, The biggest thing that just winds me up today is I am absolutely convinced that God's promises are true. They're true. God's word is right, and I am convinced that his promises are true. You know, um, we're beginning in 2024 engaging the gospel of John, and all year long, we are turning our face to this gospel. And it's my prayer that God works in so powerfully in our lives that we become more faithful with the gospel as we study this gospel. That we become more faithful ambassadors for Christ than we've ever been. And I can't think of a more important time in the world than right now to walk with Jesus more faithfully than ever. You know, um, I want to avoid a communication error, though, today. You know, um, we're going to today, as we engage the gospel of John, we're going to be in John chapter 20. So I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 20. You might go, wait, wait a minute. Uh, We're starting the gospel of John, and we're starting in chapter 20? Yes, because this is a little bit of a prequel. It's a little bit of of a... of a preparation for our jumping into John this year. Now, when you, uh, I want to avoid a communication error, though. Uh, uh, This last year, I have a podcast that I I started a year ago with my daughter, Emily, and, uh, and, and we interviewed Peter Williams just a few weeks ago. And Peter Williams is arguably, uh, I would say, one of the greatest scholars of our day. In fact, many of you are, have been influenced by the, the ministry of Peter Williams, and you may not even know it. If you have a copy of the ESV Bible, Peter Williams was the lead scholar for the committee that produced the translation of the ESV Bible. He's, a, he's an incredibly brilliant man. He's the principal of Cambridge in England, and he's got a cool accent, and he's just an interesting man. He said something to me the other day that, and I can't remember if this was in my podcast or if it was just in our conversation before or after, but he was talking about modern scholarship versus older scholarship. And he was making the point that if you read a new book, you ought to read an old one too, because the old books have incredible value which is a good practice. If you, there's a lot of good new books about God and the Bible, but you ought to also rub shoulders with some older books. But he said our newer books kind of lean into the idea that John wrote this, Peter wrote this, Paul wrote this. This is not bad, it's true, um, but we tend in our modern day to put the emphasis on, look what Paul said. Look what John said. But if you read some older scholarship, 
One of the things, a habit that you see of our older scholars is they say, God says this. This is what God said. And I I think it's really noteworthy for us to, and I want to be careful today as we jump into the Gospel of John because we're going to look at the life of John. But I don't want to fall into a communication error by putting our emphasis on John, though we're going to do that today. But let's recognize that the Gospel of John is God's Word to us. 2 Timothy 3.16, for all Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for, cor- for uh, correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness, for instruction, correction, proof, and training in righteousness. And so, so let's, let's just not miss the, the, the obvious that, that the gospel of John and the writings from John are God's word to us. And we, we've understood this because like Psalm 119, 105, we read this, that God's word is a, is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Now, when you look at the gospels, I think it's important, though, to recognize how each of the gospels... Uh, reveal something unique. For example, Matthew, we started reading that at the beginning of this year. Matthew wrote his gospel with Jews in mind. So when you look at Matthew's gospel, he emphasized that Jesus of Nazareth, he fulfilled all these Old Testament prophecies. When you look at Mark, he wrote his, his gospel to these busy Romans, and he presented Christ as this servant who was ministering to needy people. That was Mark's gospel. Luke was a doctor. He wasn't one of the apostles. Luke wrote his gospel for the Greeks and introduced Jesus as this sympathetic son of man. But John, when he wrote his gospel, he kind of wrote directed to Jews and Gentiles. And do you know what he presented? John presents Christ as the living son of God. And that's really important to understand. Now, I'm convinced that Jesus is God. John was convinced that Jesus is God, and that's what I want to lean into. John was so convinced that Jesus is God, he outlined the whole point of his book in John 20, verses 30 and 31. Let's stand together. And as we rub shoulders with this man and the reason that he wrote this book, here's my prayer for us. I pray that we, I, my prayer is that we recognize how, how John was convinced and we see how his life is convincing. Do you know what I want to challenge us to do? It's my prayer that if you're watching online or you're in this room, that every one of us leaves this room convinced that Jesus is God. And I pray that he moves us to live a life that's convincing that Jesus is God. Let's look at verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life 
in his name. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now, you know what? I said at the beginning, I'm convinced that God's promises are true. And I got to just tell you what I experienced today that has just made me even more convinced. In the first service, golly, um, it blew my mind. Sitting to my left, Harrison Mosby is here. And I've watched God strengthen him, empower him. To my right, Riley Richmond and her fiance Noah and Billy and Christy Richmond are here on the front row. Both of those families were on the front row. I've walked with both of those families in some of the most difficult times. The Richmonds, as their son went to heaven after a car accident. Spencer was led to Christ by Harrison. That was on the front row in the first service. Moments before I walked up on this stage, my watch beeped at me. Um, Yesterday, a sweet, incredible lady in our church, Brenda Williams, went to heaven. Her entire family were in church today. Going, Lord, we see you. Let me tell you something. We have watched God do something in front of us that convinces me that Jesus is real, that God's power is real. You see, that was John's life. And when I look at John's life, let's let's think about why was John so convinced and why was he so convincing? And the first thing is this. It's obvious. Let's look at the passage, the verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. John's like, hey, man, I watched Jesus do so many things that, uh, which are not written in this book, he says. Well, at the end of his, of his book, he goes, look, I, uh, th- there were so many things Jesus did, and I didn't write them down. But these things, and let me tell you something, folks. We are about to embark on a journey this year on these things that he wrote down. These things that he wrote down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that by believing in him, you will have life in his name. Let me tell you something. So many people are looking for life. And they're discovering that, you know what? My checkbook doesn't provide the answers. My relationships uh, with people don't provide the answers. My, my status in life, there's not hope there. There's not peace there. John was convinced that life is discovered in Christ. And 
So why was he so convinced? Why was he so convincing? Well, the first thing is this. When you look at John's life, John experienced the confrontation of forgiveness. And I want you to know something today. Do you know that Jesus faithfully confronts you too? I'm thankful that Jesus confronted me. He confronted John. Let's, let's think about, let's consider his life for a second. What do we know about John? He was one of the sons of thunder. Probably because he was hot-tempered. He and his brother, James and John, were, were probably hot-tempered. Well, we know that. They were kind of chippy. Um, maybe it was because of their mama. Maybe, maybe when Jesus said, you're a son of thunder, because Jesus knew their mama. And let me tell you something. Uh, John's and James's mom, she's a pretty tough lady, right? She was the one that went to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, let my son sit at your right and left hand. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. But when you think about the boldness of John's mom, let's just recognize, if you do some research in the Scriptures, it was at the cross when everybody was abandoning Jesus. You know who was there with Mary Magdalene? John's mama. I'm telling you, she was a tough lady. Um, when you look at John's life, I think both of his parents followed Jesus because you see that he was the younger son of, of Zebedee. James was older and John was the younger and his father was a, was a fisherman, but apparently a wealthy man because we read this week in Matthew 4. And I hope that you've been following with our reading because in Matthew 4, we read about the moment that Jesus called his first disciples. In Matthew 4, 19, Jesus comes up to Peter and, or Simon and Andrew, and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. So, so James and John were the first catch that, that of fishers of men, of Simon and of, uh, of Andrew. And what's interesting about Zebedee, their dad, he said, go. We know if you really do some study in the Scriptures, I think Zebedee was a wealthy man because he had two servants that took their place. So he was able to hire some people. Um, we, we know that John is writing this. We see it from the text. He's like, I want you to believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. A lot of people, a lot of scholars believe that, that John wrote this later in Ephesus. That's very important. I want you to recognize this, that he wrote this gospel later. It'll come up later in the sermon. But, but, but he, he wrote this because there was this group of key people called the Ebionites who were teaching that, hey, Jesus was just a man. He wasn't God. And John was like, no, no, he was God. And I wrote this so that you would believe that Jesus is God and that by believing in him, you would have life in his name. And when you think about how John's life, Jesus radically changed his life. Not just because he was chippy and a, and a hothead. Look at Acts 4.13. I want you to turn over in your Bibles to Acts 4.13. It's incredible when you think about how Jesus changed his life. In Acts 
um, John is in front of people. And, and it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. But they took note that they had been with Jesus. Now, now let's think about how Jesus changed John's life. Everybody recognized that he was an unschooled man. He was an ordinary man, but he'd been with Jesus. And let's think about what he did. He wrote an entire gospel. He wrote it. This unschooled man wrote a gospel. He also wrote two, three letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And, and you know what's interesting? If you become a Greek student and you study elementary Greek, do you know that the first book you start to study? 1 John. And why do you study 1 John? Because Greek is really hard. And John, 1 John was written very simply. But you know what's amazing is this unschooled man, it didn't stop him from writing the gospel. It didn't stop him from writing these letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And it was in 1 John that he wrote incredible things. He, um, forgiveness shift, I mean, changed his life. He wrote in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and he's just and he'll forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You see this confrontation of Jesus changed his life. It not only forgave his sins, but it moved him to do incredible things. He's the one that wrote the revelation. Oh my goodness. Jesus changed his life. And all through the Gospel of John, we'll see that, that he, he confront he, he, he talks about how Jesus confronted others. Like we'll see in John 3, when Jesus confronted Nicodemus, saying, Nicodemus, just like, just like I was going the wrong way, I needed to follow Jesus. Nicodemus, you should follow Jesus too. He wrote about the Nicodemus confrontation. He wrote a, He was grateful for the confrontation in his own life. And I want you to recognize the, the beauty of Christ confronting you. You were going the wrong way too. Maybe some of you walked in the room and you're not following Jesus. Can I just say to you, you're going the wrong way. Follow Jesus. Turn to him. When Jesus met John, he was headed in the wrong direction. And Jesus looked at John and said, follow me. And he did. I want you to know, God loves you so much that he confronts you too. And says to you, you're not okay. You need a savior. But if you will confess your sins, he's faithful and just. He'll forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You see, John experienced the confrontation of forgiveness. And Jesus confronts you too. Follow him. Look at verse 30. John 20, verse 30 and 31. 
Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Do you know what else convinced John and made him convincing? Not only the moment of confrontation, but, but John, I want you to think about this. John spent consistent time with Jesus before and after the resurrection. And I want you to know something. Time with Jesus is an opportunity for you too. Let's just consider what he saw. I mean, the God, like, like he saw Jesus in the flesh. We know this. I mean, he wrote this book, and, and the gospel that we're going to study is, is has three years of stories and of, of sermons and encounters and conversations, and, 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 and he even says right here in this text, look, if I was to write everything that Jesus, um, I, I couldn't write it all down. Books would not hold it, he says. He saw Jesus in the flesh. He saw that Malchus moment, right? Remember the Malchus moment? Uh, what an incredible moment. John was right there as Jesus was arrested, and Peter pulls out the sword and, and swings at it and hits Malchus in the ear. You know why I think we know Malchus's name? Because I, Malchus switched sides right then. And if he didn't, what a, what a knothead, right? What an idiot if he wasn't going to switch sides. That's that moment that his ear gets cut off and it's bleeding, and Jesus then, well, Peter, put up your sword heals his ear. Can you imagine Malchus going, um, ow, but wait, wait, it's better. Um, thanks. John saw that. J- John saw the cross. He was the only disciple that didn't run. He didn't run. How, that's why he's my favorite I don't want to ever run. Even in the worst moment, he didn't run. I pray we're a church that never runs. Never runs away. Um, He was there in that moment in John 19, 26. Jesus is on the cross. And he saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. And he said to his mother, behold your son. Let me tell you something, John never left. He was there at the cross. He was there at the Mary Magdalene moment. Remember that moment? That was the moment that the, the cross, the grave was empty. Mary Magdalene discovered that the grave was empty, and then all of a sudden, um, she runs to tell the disciples, going, hey, look, Jesus is, he's not there. And John, I think he, in John 20, verses 3 and 4, that, that's when John, you see the, the son of thunder kind of moment, because it says that he went out with the other disciple, and they were going t- toward the tomb, it says, as they were going to check out the tomb, and it says both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. How funny is that? I love that. I'm like, yeah, I outran him, but I'm just going to be subtle and just say, you know, I'm not going to mention my name, but Peter's fat and slow, right? Um, 
But he was there at the foot race moment to the empty tomb. He was there in the ascension moment. That moment that the resurrected Christ had met with them, had interacted with them. And then they're standing there in Acts chapter 1, and it says, and Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took them out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. He was there at the ascension moment. Folks, he was there at the Pentecost moment. When the Holy Spirit came, I guarantee you he wrote about it and and he remembered this in John 16, verse 7. He says, when Jesus said to them, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go away, I will send him to you. And as we engage the book of John, the gospel of John, there's something we must not forget. John is writing this gospel not in real time. He's not taking notes as he's hanging with Jesus. He writes this gospel years later, years after the resurrection And do you realize that a majority of John's life, he spent time with Jesus through the Holy Spirit? Through his Holy Spirit? And I don't want us to miss that time with Jesus through the Holy Spirit is an opportunity for you and I too. That's how we spend time with Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit. And and let's not miss this, that it's this, this, the Holy Spirit was working in his life and was leading him and strengthening him and giving him power. And, And this time that he had with the Holy Spirit, he was moved to remember all of these stories that we're gonna study over the next year. It was through the Holy Spirit that God gave him the power to write the the letters 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. It was through the Holy Spirit that the vision of Revelation came to pass, that this unschooled, ordinary man wrote the book of Revelation that has baffled the greatest minds in theology all through history. That same Holy Spirit is at work right now in this room. Every day as you wake up and say, Lord, I need you. Let me tell you something. We need to not miss the glaring lesson here as we get into the Gospel of John 
that the Holy Spirit was leading him, and that same Holy Spirit leads you and me. It's why I get frustrated with myself at times as I recognize, like the song we sang, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's my favorite hymn. Because that, that verse resonates with my heart. And I move to patience as I, as I interact with my own struggles and the struggles of those around me. But at the same time, I'm, I'm going to be bold. Like, and like as I interact with people that say, oh, well, I was going to come to church, but it was raining today. Well, bless your heart. Like, seriously? You're going to stand before God and go, Lord, I was going to worship that day, but it was raining. And I... Lord, I was going to, like, give and, and give of what you get, but I, I couldn't... This, Lord, I, I was going to get up and, and engage the Bible and, and, and seek your face as I wake up and read the Bible through with my church, but I, I just was busy. Man, I look at John. He was convinced that Jesus was the Christ. And that led him to a life that was convincing. And I want us to wrestle with this question. Are you convinced that Jesus is the Christ? Are you? Are we living lives that are convincing? Oh, we must. This is why I... I want to be a part of a church that pushes one another on a Wednesday night for four weeks to come together and figure out how to be more faithful ambassadors for Christ than we've ever been. I want to be a part of a church that challenges me as a pastor to give more, uh, more faithfully than I've ever given. I want to be a part of a church that pushes me to, 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 as a pastor to stay in the Word of God and never compromise, never run, never run away from the Lord, to trust the Lord in the ups and the downs. And you know, when I look at John's life, he was convinced and he was convincing. And you know what he did? He lived this life with a proven faith. He had a proven faith. And do you know what? I look at his life and proven faith during ups and downs produced an amazing life. And I want you to know something, that a faith-filled life is an opportunity for you to. When I look at his, look, look there's a reason for our faith. I'm convinced. I remember as a young youth minister, and I've mentioned this story before, and I won't go into all the details of it. 
but I had, I was, I'd had this, I've had several experiences with the Lord that have convinced me. One was the death of Justin Sullivan, this young man in my life, and I was getting on an airplane to go meet with a, um, a gentleman about sharing the gospel on baseball fields, and we'd already watched God do unbelievable things. And I was getting on an air, I was on an, I was in the waiting area of an airport, I was at the airport, and I was waiting, and I was reading my Bible, and my Bible out, and there was a man that was sitting across from me, and I'd re- I recognized him kind of because he looked familiar, and uh, then it dawned on me, this is a guy that's been on television, he was a lawyer in Oklahoma City, and and he'd been on, like, like, cases and interviewed and stuff like that. And he looked at me and he said, you don't believe that crap, do you? I have my Bible. I was like, I do. I do. He was a smart lawyer and I was a seminary student. But I was kind of like, well, I'm not a chump, so I do. That kind of made me mad. And I think he thought I would be intimidated, and I kind of was, but I I didn't act like it. And I was like, I do. And we started kind of this little thing. And he was shooting holes in my philosophical arguments. I was like, okay. Fair. Some of your points are fair. Philosophically. But let me tell you something what you can't disprove. God answered prayers in my life. And I started going through how God answered prayers. I was like, you can't touch my experience. And he goes, oh, that's coincidence. I said, you're a fool. Now I'm mad. (laughs) It's like, you're a fool. Because there's no way that's coincidence. And, and you know what? When I look at John's life, this unschooled, ordinary man, I just wrote down some things about his, the reason for his faith. And you can just see it that steps out of, he stepped out of his comfort zone all the time. You know, when you follow Jesus, steps out of your comfort zone will be a consistent requirement. you'll, You'll have to step out of your comfort zone. If I'm a pastor that makes you feel comfortable, shame on me. If I'm a pastor that lives in my comfort zone, shame on me. If I'm a Christian longing, if you're a Christian longing, I just want to be comfortable. That's not the call. John was constantly stepping out of his comfort zone so much that this unschooled, ordinary man wrote books of the Bible. You know what he discovered, and you see it in his life, that He stayed close to the Lord forever. As a young man, all the way to being an older man. Scholars say that John was the only disciple that died a natural death. 
The other disciples were martyred and killed. Now, John suffered. He went through prison, and he was, in, he was exiled and things. But most tradition thinks that John died of old age, the oldest of the disciples. But, but you look at his life from a young man all the way to the end, in spite of the trips that we, the stumbles that we know of, he stayed close to the Lord. And I want you to know something. There's something to learn there. Staying close to the Lord will keep you headed in the right direction all the time. Stay close to the Lord. Surround yourself with people that push you close to the Lord. You know what else you see in John? You see this in his life, that power in difficult circumstances was just a part of his normal day. Do you realize that when you follow Jesus, power in difficult circumstances is just normal for you? We have a patriarch of our church that in the last week has faced um, Wayne Yeckley in our church, has faced an incredibly challenging health moment. And I called him Friday. And you know what he talked to me about? Chris, you know what? He's in rehab, and it's a really tough thing. But he said to me, you know what I asked? I asked every nurse if they would come and pray with me before they left their shift. And so far, every one of his caregivers has stopped by his room to have him pray for them before they leave the hospital. And when you think about the situation he's in, I'm watching God give him genuine power. That's what it means when you follow Jesus. You see that in John and you see it. We see it today in our church. These aren't aren't far away stories. This is today in the first service. Um, Bo and Drew Esmeyer sitting right there. The first service today was filled with some God moments today. I know this is too. This service is too. The little teal is battling a brain tumor at St. Jude. You know what? There's those families who are all here today going, God, we're following you. We're looking to you in the middle of the storms. And folks, when you look at John, he trusted the Lord. And look back at verse 30. Let's not miss it today. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. You know, the last thing I want to put in our lap today, and, and I want us to just reflect on, 
You know that the sooner we discover that God can be trusted, the less time we're going to waste. Don't you know that you can trust him? I don't know if I mentioned this, but Tuesday, my grandson was born. I'm pumped about that. I'm proud of the boy. He's sitting in church today. He's right over there. His first Sunday, I'll breathe in real air. He walks in the door. Well, sort of. He's a good athlete. He's going to be a great tennis player someday. But, um, but you know what? Moments like that cause a little reflection. Because I... I don't feel like a grandpa. I went to the gym four times this week to prove to myself that I actually wasn't. (laughs) But you know, moments like this cause you to evaluate, cause me, I don't know what it does for you, cause me to evaluate my life. And I don't want to waste it. And the sooner we realize that God can be trusted, the less time we're going to waste. Do you believe in him? Are you convinced? Are you convincing? Are people that are around you watching your life going, that's convincing? Jesus is convincing. Folks, that's our calling. So I'm going to ask Josh to come up and we're going to have an invitation. And you know, I'm going to ask us to pray for some families. We need to pray for the Williams family. For Woody and and Brenda's family. She's fine. She's in heaven. We need to pray for Harrison and their family. We need to pray for the Esmeyers. This is a precious little little girl in our church. We need to pray for one another because we're called to be witnesses. Um, We need to follow the example of the of the sixth grade girl today, Jasmine, that walked down to me this morning. I'm bragging a lot on the first service today. But Jasmine walked down and said, you know, would you pray for me? Because I don't want to drift away from the Lord. A little sixth grade girl articulated the response that every one of us needs to exemplify today. Would you stand where you are? Lord Jesus, you have moved in front of us today. And I thank you that John wrote 
your word. Lord, um, would you move us to be a church that in, becomes more faithful with the gospel than we've ever been? More faithful leaders in this community than we've ever been. That our, I pray that our church would be a, a brighter light than we've ever been in this community. That we, we would be saltier salt than we've ever been. Father, I thank you for letting us rub shoulders with men and women past and present who are convinced that you're God and are convincing. And I pray that you would use these stories, these conversations, these, um, the, the, the life's work of this unschooled ordinary man. And I pray that we would not miss you in the midst of it. Move us now. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.